What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. That's right, Scott. We do appreciate them all watching. Thanks for sticking around, everybody. Even though I'm not Kelly Evans, I'm Brian Sullivan. I'm in once again. And here's what's ahead on The Exchange. The S&P 500 unable to hit that 70th record closing high yesterday. But will today be the day? We're basically flat. We'll see. Or is the Santa Claus rally already over? Plus, the building boom continues. Searching for an inflation indicator and can the galaxy's most infamous bounty hunter get Disney out of the ditch? That's all in rapid fire. Plus, we have been looking at predictions for next year. Well, today, lucky you, I peer into my crystal ball and reveal the five things I see next year from the overseas index a lot performed the S&P 500 to the new gold. And by the way, I went five for five with my predictions for this year. Not to brag. But we begin with Bob Fazzani in today's market action. And Bob, that S&P 500, I mean, could we get a rare unchanged day? Stick around just for that. Yeah, we haven't had that in a long time. We have had an enormous five-day rally that essentially stopped at the close on Monday. We've gone nowhere for the last day and a half. But that's kind of good news. We are dramatically overbought. Take a look at the major sectors. Remember, we're essentially at a new high uh, on the S&P 500. But that five-day rally took us up about 5%. So let's just call it borrowing from the Santa Claus rally. Dow's been holding up. Nasdaq's been lagging a little bit because tech has been lagging. So you see how defensive the market is today. Defensive means companies like healthcare, consumer staples, utilities. That's the three defensive groups that are leading. Elsewhere, you can see other things like energy stocks, uh, which, of course, is a cyclical tech stock lagging a little bit. Not too much. Remember, we've had a big run in tech this year, but uh, some of the semiconductors are a little weak. So if you take a look at, for example, uh, Xilinx, uh, AMD, NVIDIA, uh, they're on the downside. I picked those three names uh, because all three of them are up 43% this year. Rather remarkable. Uh, but we've seen nice advances. We just had a new high just a short uh, couple days ago on the semiconductor ETF. There was something that caught my eye overnight, though, and that was a statement uh, out of Samsung. Now, they have um, a large chip plant uh, in Xi'an, China, and they made a statement uh, overnight. This is Samsung saying, due to the ongoing COVID-19 situation, we've decided to temporarily adjust operations at our manufacturing facilities in Xi'an, China. It's not clear what temporarily adjust operations means. They've got two big um, memory wafer fab plants in Xi'an. They produce these NAND flash products, memory products. Uh, It's not clear if this will affect shipments. The implication is that it could affect shipments. Why is this important? Remember, the whole rally is based on the idea that there's not going to be any global shutdown occurring again. And if that is a problem, that could affect, of course, supply chains and inflation potentially. It disrupts the narrative that things are going to get better in the first half of 2022. This is very early and it may mean nothing. I'm just saying I'm paying attention to it. They see Samsung, which has had a tough year. It's down about 2%. But the semiconductor industry is ending the year just off the new highs. Brian, back to you. Uh, Really interesting there to Samsung. Digging through it, Bob, and we appreciate it. All right. In the meantime, investors have been pouring into value stocks, maybe in anticipation of higher rates next year. 
Take a look at the value ETF, more than doubling the performance of the growth ETF this month. But your next guest is going with growth and says the recent dislocation may create some great opportunities, particularly in some of the smaller names. Joining us now is Reina Hanaway, Portfolio Manager at Poland Capital and Co-Portfolio Manager of the Poland U.S. Small Company Growth Fund. Reina, welcome. Welcome back. Good to have you on. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me on the show and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Is, is it going to be a happy 2022 for small cap investors? I think it will be. We're very excited for what we see in the small cap market today, especially as it relates to high quality growth companies in the small cap space. Many of these companies have pulled back over the past quarter, and it's an opportunistic time to buy many of them. I love your glasses. Are they Warby? Are, are they Warby Parkers by any chance? Actually, they are Warby Parkers, and that is one of the companies that we're particularly excited about. In this environment where everyone's spending more time on their screens and as the population is aging, there is tremendous demand for prescription eyewear. And Warby Parker has a disruptive approach to the eyewear market, and they've got just 1% share today in this $35 billion market in the U.S., we think that they could be as much as 10 times or greater the size that they are today. And we know that their customers really love them. They've got a net promoter score of over 80 compared to about 30 for other retailers. Well, listen, knowing your stock picks, that was not a random question about the glasses, but I'm lucky I got lucky on that one. Here's the thing, though. Investors don't seem to care. The stock is down 12% year to date. What are people missing about the Warby story? I think that investors really ought to just focus on the long term. There are a lot of things that move stocks in the short term. And fundamentally, Warby Parker is very, very strong. Okay, Revolve. This is not a name that I am that familiar with. It is another stock that you like. Who are they? Why do you like them? Revolve Group is an online fashion retailer, and they understand the millennial and Gen Z consumer better than any company that we've encountered. They are doing an incredible job as it relates to using data to make all their merchandising decisions, which makes them really different from other retailers and really advantaged in this environment. And the other thing that they do really, really well is they really understand social media marketing, especially influencer marketing, and they have an incredible following. So is this kind of a uh, American Eagle? It's been super hot, by the way. Going for that age group space, looking at it, it appears it's, it's kind of a not a teen, but a tween or a millennial retailer. You're playing these, these growth trends. Maybe it's a demographic play as well. It is absolutely a demographic play. And one thing that's important to understand today is that the millennial consumer and the Gen Z consumer, they have different behaviors and preferences than older generations do. And so it's incredibly important for retailers today to understand the new consumer. And Revolve does just that. They have an incredible understanding of this generation, and they know how to reach them. Raina Hanaway, Paul and Capital. Raina, good picks. Warby Parker, Revolver, watching them. We'll see if it's a happy new year for 2022, but either way, wish you a happy new year. Thank you. Thank you. All right, you're very welcome. 
All right, we've got a news alert in the bond market right now. Seven-year notes, they're up for auction. It is the last auction of the year. All right, Rick, didn't look like a great one. How are you grading it, Professor? I'm in a good mood today, and I Uh-oh. gave a D as in dog. Wow. It was not a good auction, Brian. It was $56 billion seven years. The when issue market had a high of 1.46%. This priced at 1.48%, which means it tailed close to three basis points. Sometimes right at the end, they get some small movement. But in the neighborhood of three basis points, that's a huge tail. We had less than one basis point tails on the twos and the fives, and that took grades off. Uh, it, being the last supply of the year, being December, it doesn't shock me. What it really tells me is uh, investors are a little nervous that these really illiquid markets are going to see a lot more selling pressure, pushing rates up as we saw overnight in Europe. And I think that's why they shied away. Now, if you're in a good mood and you give it a D, I mean, good thing you were not my college professor. Rick Santelli, thank you. There you go. There you go. Thank you. All right. I won't see you again. Happy New Year, Rick. Appreciate it. Appreciate everything you do. All right. On a more serious note, the U.S. blasting through its average number of daily COVID cases over the past week, hitting a record high of more than 258,000. However, an Oxford professor and U.K. government advisor today came out and said that Omicron is, quote, not the same disease, end quote, as other COVID variants. So what exactly does that mean? And what are we seeing on the ground? Joining us now for how things are actually playing out is Dr. Pervy Parikh, immunologist and vaccine researcher at NYU Langone. Doctor, thank you for coming on. We need your insight now more than ever. A lot to do. What do you make of those UK comments? Is this not the same disease? Yeah, it, the, those comments are accurate. You know, it really depends on one basic thing. Um, are you vaccinated or are you unvaccinated? So for those who are unvaccinated, um, it actually is very similar to the same disease. We are still seeing these individuals in the hospital, in the ICU, sadly passing away. But for those who are vaccinated, um, it's much more reassuring and promising. You know, it's a much milder form. Um, less people are getting admitted, especially if you've had both shots and your booster. Um, however, it's not the same for children. And again, it's because majority of the uh, children are unvaccinated to date. So with them, we are actually seeing quite a spike in hospitalizations and even ICU admissions. Okay, can you take us into that a little bit more? Because it is a sensitive subject. I'm a parent. You're probably a parent. It's, it's scary. We don't want our kids to get anything. There was a stat, no. 395% jump in hospitalizations. And that's a scary stat. Then you dug into the numbers. It was 22 to 109. So overall, a still very, very small number of children. Thank God. What exactly are you seeing, at least at NYU Langone, about numbers and seriousness? Right. No, those are all very good questions. So um, absolutely, there is an increase, especially in areas like in New York City, we're seeing a five-fold increase, up 35% from last week. But remember, to be a child who's admitted to the hospital, you have to be pretty sick. Children are very resilient. So these are children who are requiring oxygen. They are dehydrated. So they are the more severe cases. And again, largely unvaccinated. So it may be those children who are not yet eligible for a vaccine, um, those who have not yet gotten their vaccine. So, so yes, it's not all gloom and doom, but it's, we cannot ignore it either. Nationally, we're seeing the same thing. Um, hospitalizations are up 50% in the pediatric population compared to this time last year. Yeah. So again, we don't want to ignore it either. I, I posted something last <laughs> night on, on, on Twitter because it's also, I don't want to create 
anything about a twindemic, but the flu seems to be rocking. I mean, we're 600 percent higher than 2018 at the same time. RSV is up as well. What else are you seeing with the kids, doctor? And what's your advice to parents right now? Um, Yes, absolutely. And, you know, flu and RSV um, historically are more dangerous than children than even the SARS-CoV-2 virus or COVID-19. You know, last year we had a little break and reprieve from the flu, likely because everyone was still home masking. But this year we've already had uh, pediatric deaths. We've already had two deaths. Uh, Last year we only had one, only one in the whole season compared to 200 the year before the pandemic began, right? Before everyone was locking down and doing all the social distancing measures. So I would recommend to parents, if your child is eligible for a flu shot, please get it because flu can be very dangerous in children, even deadly. We've seen that that every year. Two pediatric deaths from the flu already this year. I I hate to hear that. Very quickly, uh, you may not be able to answer this, doctor, but I got to ask you, the CDC director came out on ABC News today and said that PCR tests may test positive for 12 weeks. In other words, sort of suggesting they may not be a great vessel to know exactly what's going on. Do you have a take on that? Yes, we, we are seeing that PCR tests, especially with um, you know COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, can remain positive even for months, as you said. So again, symptom, onset of symptoms is most reliable. This is a little bit more tricky in those asymptomatic individuals. But again, you can't go only based on testing to see if your illness has resolved. It really is wow. uh, symptoms, onset of symptoms, and that makes it so uh, difficult for contact tracing, as you can imagine. Difficult or impossible, but we, we really appreciate your on-the-ground insight. Scary time for a lot of parents. Dr. Purvi Parikh, thank you very much. Have a great Happy New Year. Thank you. you Scary stuff already. All right, before we go, check out the vaccine makers, Novavax, BioNTech, Moderna. They are all riding six-day losing streaks. Moderna trying to avoid its worst stretch before the pandemic. Novavax, BioNTech, and Moderna also down at least 50% from their recent highs. For more on the latest headlines and COVID guidance, Be sure to catch Dr. Anthony Fauci on Closing Bell today at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. You will not want to miss that. All right, coming up, I'm going to share some bold, probably wrong predictions for next year. What I think will happen in the world of both business here and abroad, and maybe some big implications for your money. Top five predictions coming up next. Plus, oil prices spiked briefly after inventories fell. But what should you expect for gas prices going into next year? Your next guest says get ready to pay four bucks a gallon by Memorial Day. We'll ask him why. The exchange is back after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. 
electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. everybody to the exchange it is time for some predictions about what i think is going to happen next year and every year for the past 10 years or so come out with these remember they are meant to be fun not investable advice maybe just a way to help you think a little differently and of course you can then give me the business when i'm wrong about something by the way something you can't do this year because my predictions they went five for five you're welcome i'll post that soon all right let's get right to it and this year it's all about the booms to come prediction number one Inflation booms. I know. I think the consumer price index ends the year up 4% or more at an annual rate. Just wait until these crazy fertilizer prices start to trickle through the system. Food costs, they are likely to rise even more. Prediction two, there's a baby boom in America coming. It will reverse years-long falling birth rates here in the States. We're going to see a huge new group of cute little kids come our way next year. By the way, pregnancy tests, they are surging, according to Bank of America. Hey, it's lockdown. That's love. All right, prediction number three. Japan is the land of the rising stocks. I think Japan's Nikkei 225 will have a better return than the S&P 500 next year. Their market trading at about half our valuation. They got pricing power and actually maybe a little bit of a demographic shift there as well. Prediction four, electric car sales boom. It is the year when the hype meets the hope. Sales take off as more cars hit the market. Okay, you're saying, Sully, who cares? That's not a very bold prediction. Here's the number. I think EV sales will hit 10% of the market next year. They're 2 to 3% now, 10%. And prediction five, it's heavy metal time. Copper and palladium, they are likely to surge. You want to build an EV? You need copper. You want to build power lines to plug in your EV? You need copper. You need batteries? You need copper. Also palladium being tested in some new battery technology. So there you go. Five predictions for next year. I'll post them right now on CNBC.com as well. What do you think? Let me know where I'm wrong or maybe right on Twitter and LinkedIn. And please, as always, be nice. All right. Well, one prediction I won't make, I'll leave that to people smarter than I, is where gasoline prices are going. The national average kicked off 2021 about a buck cheaper than where we are right now, 330 a gallon. What will it bring in 2022? Your next guest says prices are likely to peak just before the summer driving season and cool off then again. We are joined now by Patrick DeHaan. He is head of petroleum analysis at GasBuddy. Seen oil prices up 15% this month. Patrick, do you think gasoline prices will continue to trend higher into next year? Well, Sully, absolutely. We're starting to see prices revert in some states as, as the Omicron fears subside. Oil prices starting to pick up momentum. Not a surprise. Uh, Another uh, repeat, really, of 2021 in which we start very uh, quietly uh, like a lamb and we may see uh, a line come out in March or April as gas prices tend to go up every year by 25 to 75 cents a gallon between winter lows and springtime peaks. And uh, I think that's a recipe that could see the national average eclipse that $4 a gallon mark as early as April or May. That is not the news that everybody wants to hear. So if that's the national average, Patrick, and I won't go into the pad system, uh, I see that map behind you. you got my, my, my state of my birth, California, all in yellow. 
How high could we go there in the Golden State? Five bucks? Well, conceivably, easily into the $5 a gallon territory. San Francisco hit $4.80 a gallon. They're on a couple of refinery issues in the West Coast would always cause prices to soar there. And very quickly, California this spring could see prices in San Francisco approaching that mid $5 gallon territory, Sully. Nobody wants to see it. But keep in mind, these high gas prices are not necessarily bad news. More they are indicative of a strong economy. They'll be driving atomic-powered go-karts by this time in San Francisco next year anyway, Patrick. So nobody cares. Uh, let's, talk, let's talk about oil prices because they're related. You're not an oil guy, but I know you track it. You and I go back and forth on Twitter. Always value your insight. What is the lag between the move in the price of oil and when our viewers and listeners actually have to pay that more at the pump? A couple weeks? Well, it, it tends to be. A refinery goes down, so it's really the degree and how sharply oil prices go up or down. Of course, increases are passed along by stations much faster. But when we saw oil prices plummet after Omicron was discovered late in uh, November, it took weeks and we're still not. We never really got to the point where stations completely passed along the drop in price. In fact, the national average had the chance of maybe getting even closer to that sub $3 a gallon mark. But stations were just reeling it in, doing very well. But keep in mind, it's been a, a pretty volatile year. Uh, but the answer is it varies. And certainly, I would yeah. think that five to seven days, you start to see the impacts, but they can uh, not be fully materialized for a couple of weeks. And, and demand. I mean, here's the thing. We talk about air travel affecting jet fuel prices, Patrick. I don't know if you've traveled. I've traveled extensively in the last year. The number of cars on the road is stunning. Apparently, everybody is eschewing mass transit and buying their own cars, probably for safety reasons, whatever it may be. Do you see any chance demand goes down? All I'm seeing is freeways that are packed with cars 24-7. Yeah, absolutely. In the holidays, we did see the strongest start to the week, Sully. Sunday through, I believe, Thursday was the strongest start to any week of 2021. Of course, as Americans get in position for their holidays, then we saw demand plummet. It led to a weekly drop in demand. But as you mentioned, I really don't see demand going down. Of course, you get the seasonal moves, January and February. Nobody really wants to venture out, especially here in Chicago. Uh, it gets pretty awful. But then in March, April, and May, look for that pickup, and that coinciding with refinery maintenance. Keep in mind, there's less refinery capacity this spring yeah. than what we've seen in years past. You have a, a couple catalysts for a surge in gas prices. The fourth biggest refinery in America still running at reduced output. That is Baytown because of ExxonMobil. There's been some other ones as well. We'll watch for storms. Patrick DeHaan, a gas buddy. Happy New Year. Do appreciate it. Thanks, Ali. You too. You're very welcome. The, the lesson here is fill up your tank now. All right. Speaking of energy predictions, CNBC surveyed some 400 investors from strategists to portfolio managers for their quarterly stock report. And here's where they see the price of crude finishing next year. 88% of those surveyed said under 80 a barrel. 10% said 100 bucks or higher. And 2% are downright bearish saying it's going to end the year under 60 a barrel. For those of you wondering why I didn't make a prediction, I think it's too easy. I think the price of oil probably ends the year around 75 to 80 bucks. But I will say this, I think it could touch 100 for a cup of coffee. All right, still ahead. The FinTech wreck will tell you why the disruptors are on the decline, and which incumbents are in the driver's seat. The Exchange, back after this. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. 
brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Let's look at the market board. And you may say, ah, Sully, not a lot of drama going on there. The S&P is almost unchanged. You know, here's where the drama is, is that if we end higher on the S&P 500, it'll be the 70th record closing high of the year, 70th. That's kind of cool. The record's 77. We're not going to break that, but it'll be the second most, we're already second most of all time. But 70's a nice round number. We are up three one-hundredths of 1%. By the way, the Dow up 76. Its high was up 116. All right, we'll get more market movers top of the hour. All right. Online retail, it is struggling with the iBuy ETF on track for its worst year since the inception five years ago. The Real Real, Chewy, DoorDash, Overstock.com, they're all in the red today. Chewy, at more than 4%. And we were just talking about black gold, but how about gold gold? The precious metal struggling to hold on to a slight monthly gain, but still on its pace for its worst year since 2015. It is down 5%. Since January. All right, now let's get a CNBC News update. For that, we go to Rahel Solomon. Rahel. Hi, Brian. And here's what's happening at this hour. President Biden will speak with Russian leader Vladimir Putin tomorrow. This as Russia continues to send troops to its border with Ukraine. That force now estimated at 100,000 soldiers. Ahead of tomorrow's call, Biden spoke today with Ukrainian President Zelensky and reiterated U.S. support for Ukraine's independence. Vaccinations may be up, but COVID testing lines remain long in many parts of the country. And new COVID cases in the U.S. have risen to a new record high. New cases are now averaging more than 265,000 per day. That's according to data provided by Johns Hopkins University. And on the news tonight, more severe weather heading for the central and southern U.S. See where the storms are likely to hit. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. And here's one way to recycle Christmas trees. Feed them to your elephants, Brian, because that's what a zoo and Berlin is doing. Reindeer and bison also getting in on the action. It's a rare treat for the animals and a creative way to get rid of trees that did not make it into someone's living room. It's a rare treat for the animals, but also an annual tradition, Brian. And kind of comes like a toothpick already built in. And a pine cone. For an elephant? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Delicious. For hell, thank you. All right, Bitcoin slide, sinking some of the crypto stocks. The search is off for discounts despite rising prices. And Disney, the worst Dow stock this year, can Boba Fett give Disney a Boba boost? That's next in Rapid Fire. All right, welcome back. Some crypto getting crushed. The home builder boom rolls on and cutting out, cutting coupons also. Can Star Wars rescue Disney? It is time for Rapid Fire. Joining us today, Christina Partsinevelis, 
Mike Santoli and Danielle Shea, VP of Options at Simpler Trading. Welcome, everybody. Three of them enter, only one may emerge alive. All right, first up, the crypto crunch. Bitcoin continues to slide on pace for its worth month since May, currently below $48,000, and it's dragging anything linked to crypto down with it. Marathon Digital, Riot Blockchain, Coinbase getting hit yet again following yesterday's brutal session. So is this a buying opportunity or should investors steer clear? Danielle, for investing advice, I'll go to you first on that. What do you think? Are you a believer of buying on the crypto crunch? Well, historically, when I'm looking at all of these names, I mean, they've really just been thrown into in with the meme stocks, right? So whenever my clients ask me about these names, they say, hey, you know what? <laughs> this has to be part of a YOLO portfolio. It cannot be mixed in with your regular assets, right? However, that being said, if you do want to strap on for the ride, I am looking at Mara if it can hold 35. That's going to be at the 50 simple on the weekly chart. This company is showing a lot of sustainable growth, and due to the investments that they've made, they've made recently, I am looking for further growth in 2022. Yeah. So, Christina, do we know what's behind the recent the, the volatility? Is the name of the game with these things? That's kind of the whole point, right? You buy them, you sell them, you buy them, you sell them. Yeah. But it's kind of had a rough month. Ethereum, well, yeah. I think, on its pace for its worst month in years. But so is tech, right? So some could say this is just the healthy correction that was needed at this time and valuations are sky high. More specifically with Bitcoin and Ether, if we're thinking big picture heading into 2022, I think regulation should be a topic of conversation. You had the SEC that rejected Vanek's uh, Bitcoin ETF very recently and that has to do with how uh, it's doing with stable coins. So there's a lot of regulations. There's another a Republican senator putting forth a crypto proposal. All of this means that there could be much more regulation, a great thing for the industry as a whole, but it's maybe adding to some of that sell-off that we're seeing in the near term. All right, we'll see what happens next year. By the way, for all things crypto, be sure to tune into the CNBC special program, Crypto Night in America. That is tonight. Did you know that? Tonight is Crypto Night in America, 6 p.m. Eastern. It's Festivus. All right, next up, Home Suite Home Builders, the home construction ETF, ticker ITB, continues to outperform the broader market of 8% in December, its fifth positive month in the past year. Mike Santoli of 50% this year. I mean, who are you talking to? Is anybody suggesting home builders are going to get weak anytime soon? This is, this is unbelievable. Yeah, it is. I mean, and it's certainly technically the charts look like they're pretty encouraging. So that does tell you that there's a lot of sponsorship for this general theme in the markets. Even on the retail side, if you look at Home Depot and Lowe's recently, they've been the strongest retail stocks in the market, maybe aside from Costco. So it obviously is something that is not an unrecognized uh, you know, bullish case out there. I do think uh, you have to ask whether the supply demand story longer term is a pretty good debate going on, actually, is whether there is a genuine enduring shortage of homes out there. It's kind of like they're just not in the right places. Um, so I do think you have to give the benefit of the doubt to the trend, but I'm very alert to the idea that, look, they look cheap, but cyclical groups like this always kind of look cheap on earnings when things are, get, are basically as good as they're going to get. So uh, I, I would say, you know, you have to defer to the trend knowing that mortgage rates are very friendly, knowing the consumer balance sheets are in good shape, but I'm just not sure that's unrecognized anymore. Danielle, you have a take on the home builders? 
I love the home home builders here. I mean, I'm currently long Home Depot, Lowe's, ITB. I completely agree that Lowe's and Home Depot are the relative strength winners in this space. Uh, both companies have continued to be incredibly strong. I mean, the last three quarters, they've continued to beat earnings. And what we're seeing right now is we're seeing millennials buying homes. We're also seeing a major increase in home equity. And so that means that people have more money to spend on remodels. So I'm continuing to look at both Home Depot and Lowe's to the long side. Um, I think they're going to make new highs pretty quickly here. And as for uh, the rest of the home builders, I like Toll Brothers and DR Horton. I like that because it goes to my predictions about the baby boom, because when you buy a house in the burbs, the four bedrooms, and there's two of you, you know what you do? You try to fill up those bedrooms with little tiny babies. Next up. Yes. Inflate. Yes. Next up, inflate. Don't give me that look, Parts and Evelos. I can see you on this giant monitor over here. Oh, I'm right around the corner from you, too. But I, go literally, ahead. you can hear me without the mic on, but so can all the viewers. All right, up next, inflation. The cost of pretty much everything is through the roof right now. That must mean coupon clipping is at all-time highs? <laughs> nope. New data shows the rate that searches for keywords like cheap and discount are actually declining. Christina, first off, I'm surprised there are actually still coupons, but, you know, electronic or paper, you get the gist. Yeah. What's going on here? Well, you would think that maybe we would be, we complain about inflation all the time. We talk about inflation all the time. Our surveys show we care about inflation, and yet our Google searches say otherwise. This is according to DataTrek. They put out research saying that the volume in searches when it comes to those words like coupon discount has dropped dramatically. And why is that? One could argue wage growth. And you have a lot of companies that are taking advantage of this. Egg producer CalMain said that their egg prices have gone up 12%. And then you had General Mills very recently saying that they had price hikes and they are going to continue the price hikes into the new year. The same thing for that uh, egg producer. And so we're willing to accept these costs. The big question is, for how long? And this does not bode well for, I guess, the next six months or so, because that could mean Definitely more uh, increase in prices, especially yeah. when it comes to food. Yeah, Mike Santoli, we had this piece on CNBC recently done by this Christina Partsenevelis who talked about fertilizer prices. When those start to trickle through, it's conceivable the price of food is going to go up from here, not down. Uh, it absolutely is conceivable. I do think there's indications like uh, like this, you know, Google search data that say that is a bit of a more of an inflationary mindset that's that's spreading uh, among the public. I would offer one little caveat to this interpretation, though. One of them is, one, the shortage mentality obviously uh, was broadcast throughout. So people just felt like they needed what they needed and they couldn't necessarily shop as much by price. And maybe during the holidays, you're not necessarily looking for the cheapest. Maybe that's a generous view of how people approach buying stuff this time of year. Danielle, inflation going to end the year hot next year? Yes, I mean, I think inflation is going to continue to be hot. And of course, I mean, the Fed is going to try to do their best. I think they're a little bit behind on that front. But I mean, as far as coupons go, when I look at that data, I'm just looking at the fact that people are buying most everything online. I mean, there's not really a need for coupons at this point when you can simply go to Google and you can find yeah. exactly what you're looking for on a variety of different sites. So. I'll tell you what, I'm mean, not promoting Microsoft Edge. The browser's got this thing built in where it basically will automatically scan for discounts. It's kind of cool. You watch it, it's like a slot machine. You're like, ooh, 12% off, you know, on dog food. Exactly. All right, finally, can Boba Fett, the bounty hunter, help boost Disney's shares? The new streaming series, The Book of Boba Fett, debuts on Disney Plus today, and hopes are very high. 
It'll follow in the footsteps of the wildly popular Mandalorian series. House of Mouse could use a jolt. Disney Plus subscriber goes slowing down and COVID throwing a wrench into parks reopening. It's the worst Dow performer this year, off 14%. Let's talk about recapturing the magic. Mike, I don't know if you're a Star Wars guy or a Boba Fett. I mean, what an ignominious end, right? I mean, he gets hit by a blind Han Solo, <laughs> flies in that giant worm's mouth. I thought he was supposed to be tough. Anyway, is this going to help Disney stock? You know, unfortunately, and, you know, you and I think basically with the exact perfect age to be Star Wars uh, obsessed kids, I was not quite that much, but um, I think it's almost just table stakes when it comes to Disney Plus right now. They're, they just have to feed, you know, the platform with as much of these spinoff uh, series as they can. I guess it would make sense to ask yourself, who is a candidate to rush to subscribe on the Boba Fett show who wasn't already there based on The Mandalorian? So to me, it's about the stock got a little bit over ahead of itself when people gave it credit for having a Netflix inside of it when subgrowth was so strong. And then you realize it's really not just a streaming company and the economics aren't quite there across the board. It's been digesting that for years, for about a year now. Yeah, I just, you know, Danielle, you know, a a limited series about an obscure character only favored by dorks like Mike and I, I I just don't know if that's going to be enough. I don't think it's going to be enough in the short term. However, I mean, I like Disney. I think that in the long term, this is a buying opportunity. I have been buying Disney shares pretty much for the last six months because I'm looking at it with a more of a long term view. Right. I mean, Disney, obviously huge name. They have a wide variety of product segments. At some point, if this pandemic ever ends, you're going to see cruise liners come back. You're going to see hotels come back and you know, I think that at that point, we will finally see Disney move on to make new all-time highs. But it's not going to be because of Boba Fett. Christina, I can see you flagellating over there. Because <laughs> I, I wanted to interrupt. Like, do, we really think, do we really think that Disney's going to hit, uh, what did their goal of 260 million subscribers by 2024 when they're only at, what, 118 million just this past November? So, yes, you're going to have to get a lot of people on board just within the next little while. Will the parks offset it? It's a nice bright spot. Not so sure because most investors just really care about the subscriber numbers and they're not there. That's it. And what they need is a show where they basically vote off the worst characters of all time. Ewoks versus Jar Jar Binks, that blue elephant that played the keyboard without fingers. That's what we need to see. The worst characters of all time. Christina, Mike and Danielle, thank you very much. Do appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Still ahead. Meme mania as the streets split. On where those stocks are headed the next year, 2022's biggest battleground names are next. The Exchange, back in two. All right, welcome back. The moves from the meme traders this year has analysts torn about where the names like GameStop and Virgin Galactic may be headed next. According to Goldman Sachs, the biggest battleground stocks, meaning the ones with the largest disparity across price targets, are, are you ready? GameStop, NovoCure, and C3AI, not C3PO. That was the other segment. GameStop has proven so volatile this year that many firms simply pulled coverage. Fundamentals, out the window. For the full list of those contentious names, you can get them all at CNBC Pro. All right, up next, forget the beef. The street is asking, where's the pricing power? One analyst thinks he's got the answer and lies with franchisees. He'll be along and give us his top picks for 2022. Stick around. Welcome back. Well, restaurant stocks faced a triple threat this year between rising costs, labor shortages, and the pandemic you might have heard about. 
Kate Rogers joining us now with a look at the names the street is betting on, though, in 2022 and why. What the street seeing is going to be the hot places to eat and invest next year, Kate. Hey, Ryan. Well, after learning how to manage in an ongoing pandemic, the restaurant industry, as we all know, still continuing to face challenges due to the Omicron variant spreading. Analysts say they're looking to names that can perform well in both open and more restricted and closed environments, and more importantly, have pricing power and flexibility as inflation continues to weigh on the sector. Peter Soleil at BTIG says his top pick for 2022 is Starbucks. Soleil says investors should own names that cater to a higher income demographic in 2022, and that value will continue to be in focus for customers in the coming months and quarters. And for Andrew Charles at Cowan, Chipotle takes the top spot. Again, that's a company that has expressed it has room to run on pricing. Charles said the premium valuation is justified by sales execution at CMG. He points to the sales strategy the company is pursuing, which is focused on social responsibility, digital loyalty, and menu innovation. Other names mentioned as opportunities by Charles Wingstop and newly public companies this year, Sweetgreen and Dunch Bros. All of the names here, Brian, are digital focused, will remain key as we move ahead with consumers who are looking to order via digital platforms for the foreseeable future. Top two names, though, in the sector for the year are Domino's and Papa John's, the pizza players. Back over to you. Domino's and Papa John's pizza staying hot. Kate Rogers, thank you very much. All right. Staying with restaurants, your next guest has a strategy to try to navigate the inflation headwinds. He favors franchised restaurants over the company owned names. Joining us now is Nick Setian. He is senior equity analyst covering restaurants at Wedbush Securities. Nick, get to your picks. Thanks for joining us. One of them is Dine Global. Now, our viewers may not know the stock, but they know the main chains, Applebee's and IHOP. Are those franchised? They're franchised, almost 100% franchised, Brian. Thanks for having me, first of all. And so, yeah, absolutely. You know, Applebee's is comping 10% versus 2019. Uh, and IHOP is, uh, you know, during Q3 now, they're, they're almost back to 2019 levels with basically the, the, the late night, you know, business being hobbled by lack of employees. And so, you know, to me, looking forward, as that business comes back, as, you know, they gradually address the employee shortage situation, uh, you basically got, you know, top line growth drivers here uh, that should sh- flow straight to the bottom line. And so you're not worried about inflation headwinds because it's almost 100 percent franchise. Are you that convinced that the franchisees will be able to get the workers to make the comeback? Or, I mean, you can pay somebody 40 bucks an hour, but then you have to raise your chicken entree to 35 bucks. Well, so that's the thing, right? I mean, if you're a franchisee, you're raising prices uh, much more aggressively than uh, if you're a company-owned model uh, to protect your margins. And so, uh, you know, I mean, ironically, that's a good thing for the franchisor because you're, you know, you're basically taking the percentage from the top line. And so as the franchisees take pricing, uh, there's more sales to uh, take that percentage from. Now let's move on to what has been hot, and that is fast food. We know, of course, some of these, the only ones allowed to remain open during a lot of the lockdowns, particularly out west. And uh, I always felt like Jack in the Box was kind of a sideways cannabis play, and I can leave our viewers to figure that out on their own. But you love Jack. I love Jack. Look, they're one or two in terms of, uh, you know, their, their market positioning in the markets they're in versus McDonald's. Uh, and uh, now they just made this acquisition of, of, of Del Taco, which I think was a, a very accretive acquisition. It's going to prove to be very accretive. So now you have two sort of regional brands that are poised to to grow nationally uh, with stellar same-store sales growth. And again, primarily franchise names. I think the company-owned side 
in terms of the margin trajectory is 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 now baked into consensus estimates. I think the risk is 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 minimal in terms of the downside. You've got plenty of free cash flow. Yeah. Uh, you know that that'll basically flow back to to shareholders through repurchases and dividends. I had no idea they bought Del Taco West Coast thing. All right, Nick. Finally, Wendy's. I know this. Wendy's is going right after McDonald's. They are talking. They're spending a lot of money marketing these new fries. They say never get cold, never get soggy. I know it's not exactly a super analytical approach, but they're spending a lot of money to try to take on McDonald's. You think it's going to work? Like, I think they have one of the best management teams in the industry, uh, and they've been able to uh, do everything they've said they're going to do, uh, including introduction of breakfast. Right. So I think breakfast going to be is going to be a, a big deal in, in 22 as. Uh, as the world, you know, slowly normalizes. Uh, and <clears throat> absolutely, I think they're in a position to continue to take market share. So, you know, I really like Wendy's here at these valuations. Nick Setian of Wedbush, really appreciate your insight and views. Dime Global, Jack in the Box, Wendy's. Thank you for Nick, thank you. Happy New Year. All right, up next, they say fortune favors the bold. And that was supposed to be so for the likes of SoFi and Robinhood, the fintech space. But the 2021 stock performance turned out very differently. What went sideways next? All right, welcome back. And let's go in the way back time machine. And I mean way back, all the way back to like six months ago when fintech was supposed to turn the entire payment space on its head. But investors stuck with the tried and true names this year. Deirdre joining us now with more on that story. What what happened to all these Hot young upstarts that were supposed to take over from the old guys. <laughs> yeah, things move fast this year and all year. We have been talking about buy now, pay later, crypto, digital commerce, the retail investor. But as we close out 2021, investors, they're actually shunning the upstarts and returning to the incumbents. Take a look at Visa and MasterCard. Shares are each up more than 10% over the last month. A firm, SoFi, Robinhood, Coinbase, they're down double digits in that same time frame. So what happened here? Is the hype wearing off? Well, perhaps, and certainly valuations, they're coming back down to earth. Investors, they were really excited about the young, active user bases of the upstarts. But it turns out, Brian, Robinhood still relies on its users to trade on big meme stock events. Coinbase still pretty tied to crypto prices. Now, neither have been all that successful yet, that is, in cross-selling products. But even a SoFi, which has had more success upselling or cross-selling, has seen its shares tumble nearly 50% from its highs. We talked about this on Tech Check with Dan Dolev. Uh, real lasting disruption in the fintech space, that is going to take time. So the thinking may be that for now, the legacy players like Visa and MasterCard, they're going to benefit from the return of old trends like cross-border transactions. Longer term, though, this could be an opportunity for some investors like Kathy Wood, who believe that technology, crypto, decentralization, they will ultimately disrupt those models held by Visa and MasterCard. And you can see it flip once again, Brian. We just track it. Robinhood was an $85 stock five months ago at its intraday high in mid-August, Deirdre. It's at 17 and change now. What are people saying about the future of this yeah. company? I mean, one of the most brutal sell-offs that we have seen in this space, especially just going back and thinking about all the hype and excitement over that IPO. It comes back, I think, to this whole idea of upselling, cross-selling. Investors so excited about the next generation that Robinhood is bringing into trading, into financial services, but the financial services piece is still kind of missing. I mean, what other products can it sell 
these customers or do they just want to trade on meme events or crypto, right? It's kind of relying more and more on cryptocurrency trading for its yeah. business. And the thinking is that may not be so sustainable. Been a rough ride for the investors in Robinhood. Deirdre, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Appreciate everybody. Thanks for watching The Exchange. I'm out for the rest of the year. I'll see you in 2022. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.